The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the Pot of Thunder, and Rock and Roll. And there's a new Metalocalypse movie coming next week. Metalocalypse, Army of Doomstar, will be available on digital and Blu-ray on August 22nd. Adult Swim just dropped the first trailer for the animated movie. And with the new movie comes two new albums, the film's soundtrack and Death Clock's long-awaited Death Album 4. So to celebrate this momentous metal occasion, I've got the co-creator of the Metalocalypse world, Brendan Small, and drummer Gene Hoagland, who is Testament's longtime drummer and also a contributor to Metalocalypse. Brendan shares what inspired Metalocalypse and Death Clock, how they came up with the various band members' looks, names, and gimmicks, and what it took to get this animated movie made. He also talks about how he first met Gene Hoagland and what it was like to write and record the music for the film's soundtrack and the new album, Brendan and Gene also talk about the preparation and rehearsals they've been doing to take Death Clock on the road. The tour starts August 30th in Houston, Texas. Tickets and VIP packages are available at thebabyclocktour.com. All right, let's get into the new Death Clock music and the Metalocalypse film with Brendan Small and Gene Hoagland right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so it is the big return of Death Clock. Uh, coming soon, and Brendan Small and Gene Hoagland are here to talk all about it. And Gene, I got to tell you, man, every time I see you, you look better and better and better. You have slimmed and trimmed yourself down big time. Oh, well, thank you very much, Chris. I'm Gene Slimmins, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> How much have you lost? Well, it, it fluctuates from uh, 180 down to about 160. Right now, I'm about 160. I've... Uh, Put on some winter fluff, but that's okay. And I'll, I'll be, you know, rocking this off pretty darn soon. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. But getting ready for this death clock run, you know, I'll definitely be trimmed up for that one. You got to really train for the, for all the drumming going on. So there you go. Because it's not just the new record, right, Brendan? You guys are actually going out on tour as well. That's right. It's a tour, it's a record, and it's a movie all at the same time. So it's uh, it's a lot going on. It's been a lot of work leading up to this point. Gene knows we've been we've been seeing each other throughout the year at different points, from recording right to uh, I saw you on on tour with uh, Death to All. It's been about two years of work, maybe longer. You know, putting the record and the movie together. Yeah, 
Well, it's such a cool concept and it's such an original concept. And what I, I wanted to say, I totally forgot about this until I was just looking. This was created with a mutual friend of ours and Tommy Blacha, right? That's right. Tommy, who is in the wrestling world as well. He, he did a couple of crazy stints back in the day. Well, that, I, that's where I work with him. He was a writer in the WWE when I first started there back in like in 2000 or so. And I remember he was talking about this cartoon that he was working on. And here it is 20 years later, just blowing up through the roof. That's crazy. I don't know if it's 20, but yeah, it's been a while since it started out. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, let's, let's go through it. How, how did this all start coming about? How did Gene get involved? And once again, this is something I'm sure started out as a fun thing. And now you've made this kind of worldwide pop culture phenomenon, shall we say. Kind of let's go through through how it all came to be. Well, it's uh, I had a show before this called Home Movies, which is a very different show, very different tone, completely different mood. I was falling back. I went to music school at Berkeley College of Music. And before that, uh, I was just a kid who played guitar and tried to learn Ingve Malmsteen licks and all that stuff. But I decided <laughs> I was going to try to become a musician. But while I was at music school, I also studied writing at Emerson College because I didn't know how I was going to make a living as a musician. Then I turned into a stand-up comedian. And so I went from student to uh, stand-up to getting a, an opportunity to get into TV. And we had a good uh, four seasons with this first show. And then I was just wondering, what can I do that's different, that's next? And I just knew that in that time, since I'd been in music school till I finished the other series, metal kept getting heavier. It kept getting more intense. It kept getting better produced. People kept tuning lower. I was falling in love with my guitar again. And that's what was happening, really. That's the real story. And I wanted an excuse to play it. The only person that would go and see metal shows with me was Tommy Blotchett. So he would go and see Cannibal Corpse with me and we'd go see like a bunch of different shows and stuff. And at some point I just got on the phone and pitched Adult Swim and I said, listen, I've got this idea. It's about an extreme metal band. They're the biggest act on earth because we couldn't make them an act on their way going out because Spinal Tap covered that and they covered it beautifully. And why do that? So we thought, what if they're the biggest, like the seventh largest economy? <laughs> but, but also something else was happening too at the same time. There were less TV shows that were being written. This is like the early 2000s, like 2004, 2005. And reality shows were taking over. So I was watching reality shows on TV. Uh, the internet was about five years old, seven years old. So porn had completely taken over our entire lives. People started dressing like porn actors. Porn, post 9-11, no one's writing any songs of like protests. Metal's getting heavier. All the TV shows are where are they now shows. And uh, it's just a crazy nightmare of TV. And so I thought, okay, Metalocalypse, here we go. This is the time to put this out. So, so that's what we did. It's interesting. Adult Swim was just becoming a thing back then. And it's really carved out a niche for being kind of this weird place for, you know, adult cartoons. And it fit right in with that vibe. Was it hard to sell the show or did they go for it right away? To their credit, they understood exactly what we were talking about. My pitch was this. It's about a band. They're the seventh largest economy. They're the, the biggest act in the world. And I don't think we're going to understand anything they say. And I'm not sure how I feel about that, but I think I'm pretty serious. And they said, okay, let's, let's figure it out. Let's sort it out. They said, write it up. Go write it up. And I said, I don't want to write it up. I want to go and try to figure out what they sound like. Because if I can figure out what they sound like, then I can develop the show a little bit more. So I can know how many band members there are. I know I grew up on Iron Maiden metallica and i and brian may from queen so i knew i needed one more than one guitar player i needed two guitar players to do harmonies i knew i needed this drummer but i wanted a multi-talented drummer who could sing and play drums and do all kinds of cool stuff so that was pickles i needed this kind of quarterback which like kind of part conan the barbarian and part george corpse grinder fisher <laughs> as the uh lead singer and i needed a bass player and you know i just thought about 
you know, and Justice for All. And when you couldn't hear the bass on metal albums, you know, where um, they're playing and it looks like they're doing a lot of work, but you can't hear them. So I thought, let's put that into a character. What would that do to a person if they're working all day and no one can hear them? If they feel small, they have to act big. So that helped indicate what the character was. So all that stuff. So that, that was William Murderface. So, and then I thought, okay, I love Ingve. I love all these shred guitar players. Let's have a guy from Sweden and a guy from Norway. And one of them is the, the world's fastest guitarist and the other one is the world's second fastest. And let's let them kind of fight that out <laughs> together. So all that stuff, it was just a bunch of metal lore from, you know, from European metal to black metal to American death metal and just trying to like wad them up in some big goopy ball and throw it out into the audience and see what happens and then create a world where they're the biggest fan, create some kind of um, an Illuminati kind of character because I'd seen a documentary called the people versus John Lennon, where his voice was so big and he could influence so many people in an era of Vietnam that, that the CIA and the FBI started keeping tabs on him. And I thought, okay, wouldn't that be the case if the seventh largest economy this band Death Clock were were really that big and could really kind of sway the the whole world in, in its direction. Ultimately, this is a show about dipshit celebrities. That really is. But, <laughs> but then I get to make it cool with heavy metal. So this is a show about celebrityism at the end of the day. And this final piece, Army of the Doomstar, wraps up that whole story. Gene, how did you get involved with the band? Well, I remember right, you know, there was just a couple of episodes that had had aired. I got a call from Brendan and he was like, Hey man, we got, you know, we, uh, how do you, how would you feel about coming in and, and playing? It looks like we're going to end up doing like a kind of a soundtrack record for the season. So how do you feel about coming in and laying down some drums for it? And I was like, man, that sounds like a blast, you know? And yeah. I wasn't super familiar with the show as of that moment. Cause there was only a couple episodes going and, um, so at some point I was able to sit down with the show and, you know, really catch it. And I remember my very first scene I saw was, um, murder face, uh, puking into a bucket <laughs> on a submarine. The one thing I really noticed, I was like, wow, the music is killer. Like, this is great music. You don't hear music like this on TV. Usually, you know, it's some kind of cartoony, corny kind of music. But I was like, Brendan, definitely he, he knows his metal. I can tell that's where we just kind of moved forward with it. And I remember Brendan sent me a, this was back, you know, kind of before file sharing sort of, you know, he sent me a CD that had 23 songs on it. And it was actually like snippets of 23 songs. Like some songs were 40 seconds, some were a minute, some were 30 seconds. And I was like, okay, that looks like there's 23 of these things here. And I was like, wow, this is going to be about the easiest thing to record like recording 45 seconds and i remember calling out to brandon i was like now let me see are we actually record is this 45 second piece is this what we're recording is like well he explained to me the the process of how that 45 seconds of song came to be you know getting the call from the art department we need 45 seconds of music okay i would write 45 seconds of music send it off to the art department get them going on it and it's up to us to kind of flesh out the songs as we go, you know, kind of on a day by day basis. And we had a lot of time to record, record a lot of time for me. You know, we had like two weeks to record two, three weeks. And that's a gargantuan amount of time. I'm used to doing albums in one day, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> an entire, you know, here's 13 songs in one day. But I was like, wow, we get two weeks to do this. This is going to be great. And that was the, I guess, kind of the big challenge, like, we would work on a song like, I don't know, like say, just take Mermaider, for example. 
We'd start working on it in the morning. We'd take a couple hours fleshing it out and then take a couple minutes. I'd kind of put it all together in my head, you know, take, go outside for a moment and just put the entire tune together, come in and track it and then work on it for a couple hours. There, that one's done. Let's start working on the next song. Get two songs done a day kind of thing like that. Brendan would go home that night, start fleshing out, getting ideas together for the next couple of songs. And the big challenge was trying to make these songs sound like you've, you've spent months and months. This is a band putting these songs together over months and a lot of love and care and fussings put into each song. And you have about two hours to do that. So that was the big challenge to make it sound like this is a well-rehearsed band. And so that was, hey, I'm always up for any kind of challenge like that. Right. And so that's been a lot of the way that Brennan and I are able to work. You know, we just get the ideas flowing and, and sound like we put a lot of love into songs that sometimes only have a couple of hours to get done. I remember, can I say this really quickly? I remember the first day that we worked together. I remember the first day because I was talking to different labels. I was talking to maybe like um, Century Media or something like that. I was I was asking around. I said, I want a drummer. I'll do the rest. I want a dr- I need a, I need live drums because I've been programming terribly. Go back and listen to those first couple seasons. Bad heavy metal drum programming. And I said, I need a real drummer. And every person I talked to said, Gene Hoagland, Gene Hoagland, Gene Hoagland. And I knew who Gene Hoagland was. And I thought, would he do this? And yeah, and like what Gene said, I would have only enough time in an 11-minute and 30-second episode to give the assumption of a song, give the kind of verse chorus bridge and maybe a guitar solo but the first day that we worked together i had an opportunity to put a song on the um i guess saw three soundtrack the european version yeah (laughs) and also so so i was i was like okay i'm gonna write a song and i wrote the song like the night before and i said gene let's let's just do let's attack this first so we took a song had no lyrics really no anything and just and by the end of the day we had a full song with lyrics and guitar solos and harmonies and all kinds of stuff and keyboards and we stood back there and we and we listened to it and we went hey that's really cool for never having worked together we made something kind of really cool and that song is called hatred copter (laughs) just a ridiculous song but it was but a cool song too so that was the that was a challenge how silly and stupid can we make the lyrics but how how seriously can we take the music and so that was that was the challenge and so that's Gene's a perfectionist in the studio. He is a, a technical genius in the studio, but he's also really, really musical. So going from one section to the next, we'd have a conversation every single time. From this section, how do we set up the next section? How do we set up the next section? How do we keep it flowing? How do we surprise people with the music? So always talking about how to work. So that's how Gene and I would kind of do it. And still, even this year, a, a similar version of how we worked before. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's interesting, too, because, you know, when you start something and it's fun and obviously, you know, it's a cartoon and it's it's not real. And then you start writing the music. Every band has a gimmick, right? For our band Fozzie, oh, Chris Jericho's the singer. You know, is it any good? Or Kiss Wars Makeup or Slipknot Has Masks. For you guys, oh, this is just a cartoon, isn't it? You actually have to really make sure that the music is killer because you're almost going against 
you need to work twice as hard to get the respect because I think people sometimes assume that, oh, it's not real, is it? Type thing, right? Maybe so. I've heard people say this before. And I think maybe even Gene, you said that where like it didn't have to take itself this seriously for it to work. <laughs> right. But seriously, that's half of good comedy, I too. I think good comedy is having the character be a dipshit or be stupid or whatever it is, but really committing to it as hard as you can. Committing to the straight line part of it as hard as you can, I think, makes it more enjoyable for the audience. So we, we committed to it really and still do take the music way too seriously. I was going to say earlier when you mentioned about kind of the Norwegian guy and the Swedish guy and the two fastest guitar players, like this is why metal fans love this show because it's written and produced by metal fans. And why I say this is because a lot of times you'll see a movie like, for example, I don't know, Rockstar, the movie. You can tell whoever wrote that is not a heavy metal fan because it's so stupid. It's like there's never been really too many good wrestling movies because they don't capture what it really is all about. With you guys and with what you've done and what Tommy's done, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so popular because it's very heavy metal. And it's, there's a certain way that, that all of us understand metal that if it's not real, you can spot it and smell it right away. Well, I think the, the perfect example of being musically authentic and having characters and having story is Spinal Tap. Yeah. Because when you go and you see Nigel Tufnell, and that was also like Squiskar Squigolf, the, the Swedish guitar player on the show, is always plunking around on every episode working on some kind of like three note per string, Al Miola, Paul Gilbert kind of style lick. That's something that Nigel Tufnell is doing in one there. He's just kind of keeping his fingers limber in the background and everything. They're actually playing their own instruments. They're writing their own songs. You know, they're writing their own jokes, but that movie has a musical authenticity to it. Yeah. Amadeus has a musical authenticity to it. Whiplash has a musical authenticity to it. So there are a lot of movies that really do care about getting the music right. But it was a burden that we took on to make sure that we nailed because I thought when I when this show came out, since I'd be running the show, I had to make sure I knew what who this audience was. And I thought this is like for me when I was turning 14, 15 years old and falling in love with the guitar for the first time and hoping desperately that somebody would get it right. Somebody would at least put the fingers in the right places. Someone would do something right with the drums. Something Somebody would do something right that kind of echoed what i like in music so that's what i thought it's this shows for me when i was a teenager discovering heavy metal let's talk about uh the look of the band is this something did you create kind of the the different looks of the guys or did somebody else kind of help you with that this is uh the late john schnepp who uh put a lot of this stuff together so this is a really great contribution from him because and we went through a few drafts because the first kind of take was these loopy looking spaghetti characters that were just looked like hair metal band. And we're like, no, 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 John, this isn't a hair metal band. These people have been wearing the same jeans for about four months. They smell like <laughs> BO and they could beat you up. That's who this band is. They smell bad and they can hurt you. So let's let's go back into it. And we kind of went through each character. And one of the biggest contributions he gave was Murderface, I think, because we didn't know Murderface was going to turn out looking like this character. We knew his attitude would be interesting and he'd be like kind of a breakout comedy character on the show. But he really created something in this tiny nose, strange, you know, lantern jaw character with his big triangle hair. <laughs> and we hadn't seen anything like that. And, and that alone was very inspiring. So him uh, designing the characters was a big part of it. So that was it. And then, and then the only character we really said, like, you know, let's just take a look at how George Corpse moves on stage. So we would take, we would take our staff to shows and we'd just be looking at metal shows in LA all the time and saying, let's just get this right. You don't have to like be 
doing a lot of animation, you just have to stand and look cool and just get the moves right, get the hair right, get all those like windmills right, get all that crazy stuff that bands are doing on stage right and show that to a group of people that already know it and turn other people on to heavy metal at the same time if we can. It's talking about the, the, the members of the band for people that might not know because I love, I love the names and I love the characters that you've created for them. Describe the, the five members of, of, of Death Clock. Uh, okay, so there's uh, William Murderface, who we keep on talking about. He's the bass player. <laughs> Murderface, this is, by the way, like Tommy and I named these characters in probably under 10 minutes. We just were going and committing and just trying to get, get this thing to the finish line because I knew we had a lot of episodes that we had to take care of. So uh, William Murderface, like I said, he's the guy who uh, his bass can't be heard, so he's the loudest character in the band. Uh, Nathan Explosion is this kind of like quarterback, kind of like quiet, brooding but also uh just a major dipshit in general basically that's the idea i think all these comedy characters have to be somewhat idiots in order for them to really function <laughs> rag dolls that we throw against the wall that we throw into a ceiling fan and watch them all <laughs> scatter pickles the drummer so pickles just a one word name i don't know where that came from i just thought what's the what is the most not metal name i could possibly think of <laughs> pickles the drummer squiskar squiggle that i think tommy just kind of like spat that out one day and I was like, that sounds like, you know, it's usually Swiss car, but it's Swiss car with K's, like a lot of K's. And, and that's kind of part of how we decided to make them talk, which was like almost like people in um, Scandinavia who'd learned how to speak English by watching Popeye cartoons <laughs> because they speak so bizarrely and they add S's and consonants to everything. <laughs> Toki Wartooth is either my name or Tommy's name in some, there was like some find your Viking name website where you either either put in my name or Tommy's name, but I think it may have been Tommy's name. Like basically it spattered out. It said Toki Wartooth. I was like, that's good enough for me. And we said, yep, moving on. So we had Pickles, Murderface, Nathan. I just thought Nathan also, that's not a very heavy metal name, but what if his last name were Explosion? Okay, good. Let's keep moving. Keep moving. So we just <laughs> kept going. on moving and keep going. Get, get this done. There's not a lot of time. We got to get a TV show on the air. So that was it. Toki is almost like this child's character. He's just in, infantilized rhythm guitarist plus you know co-lead guitar player but he's the darkest character squiscar is this lothario kind of character he's had so much sex he's sick of sexual things is now going for not sexual things to get him horny things like that nathan explosion is a guy who can never find the right girl for him he's searching searching throughout the whole world and he's always going for the wrong thing Murder face probably is an incel <laughs> and Pickles has been around the block. This is his second band. He's already like, uh, it's kind of like the opposite of the Foo Fighters. You know, he was in like, basically Pickles was in a version of Guns N' Roses as like the Axl Rose character who became the drummer. He said, I don't want to be the front man. This is the band. I was meant to be the drummer in this band. So he's got a whole history of being in bands. I was watching so many music documentaries. I was trying to just push and like pull all kinds of things from all, all kinds of documentaries kind of just put them in here and hide all of our footprints and, and try to make it a unique thing. And so that was the band that we came up with. Gene, have you ever voiced any characters on, on the show? I did one, probably rather poorly. <laughs> no, you didn't. It was good. It was great. And the bit worked really well. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, it, yeah, it was uh, like the irate health inspector uh, who was examining Morehouse and going through the cellars, and he was the guy going, oh, is it metal to have blood and guts all over the place? That kind of thing. And, you know, the yeah, guys yeah. are like, yeah, it's very much. So <laughs> we had to do it remotely, and Brendan was a great director on that, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm up in the Bay Area doing it, and Brendan, you know, we got the 
remote kind of thing going and and yeah it came out came out really fun we had a good time doing it totally yeah well that's part of the show too is we you know people that haven't acted before though gene has like gene's got so many stories of acting near misses and all these really cool things <laughs> right that's a, that's for a different podcast but but that's part of the fun is taking people from the metal world and saying come be part of the joke right from corpse grinder to you know Isan to Slash to Scotty Inns in, in one of the Scotty Inns to Kirk Hammett to all those guys. I mean, you have James Hetfield and Kirk Hammett as pretty much the first two voices to kick off the entire journey of Death Cop. That's pretty darn cool, man. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's one thing that I think it was really fun for the fans, you know, like tuning in, like, what metal god am I going to see this week, you know, on the show? Yeah. You know, you never know. So that's always, that, I'm sure, I know that's got to be fun for all the fans, totally. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. this when you when you do an episode how long does it take for the animation to get done um it really depends if it's a quarter hour episode half hour episode the thing is that this show was like part of producing this is minding the budget all the time you have to know how much money you're spending you know it's like making a movie you have to know how much money is being spent how much time you have how much you're even allowed to move the characters because they charge you by the frame they charge you by the second oh, yeah. so wow. so you have to kind of figure it out so making this movie the army of the doomstar movie we really wanted to up the ante and really go crazy on it. So we we went above and beyond anything we'd ever done before just to make it look more exciting, more cinematic, really create more of a mood than we ever have before. But on a TV show, it'd be like about four or five months and we would do it domestically and we would just like, we'd be racing to the finish line every single week because it would be airing on Sunday and we'd be trying to turn it in on Friday night and we'd be pulling all-nighters and then adding jokes and then just adding and fixing and, and just refining the timeline as it's going out, as it's going out. And then back in those days, you had to, you couldn't just upload stuff. You had to like export a two inch tape to Atlanta so they could get it and make sure everything's cool. And so about like four or five months back in the day, but those are quarter hours. And uh, we were constantly creating art and Titmouse, the animation studio was with us just like Gene was saying like, let's put more work into this thing than kind of I was expecting to do just because we're excited to do it. And you know, like I, I've watched the show has been airing while we were on on the road and i've watched brendan on a thursday night you know we're done playing the gig thursday night he's at his he's at his computer and there are just you could hear the voices but there are you know the storyboards coming up you know and i'm like mm. this thing's gonna be on tv in like two mm. days and it doesn't <laughs> yeah. look anywhere close and brendan's not, yeah. <laughs> cool as a cucumber it's just like it's going to get done, don't worry, you know, and, and sure enough, it looks great and all that, but yeah. that's pretty darn crazy watching the process just, you know, from total observer outside standpoint, you know, there's a lot that goes into this, I tell you. How can you do that though? Like, how can you make the changes, Brent? It's not like you can grab a camera and do another take or something like that. You have to work with the animation that you have done already and just try and re-edit it that way? Absolutely. There's a lot of stuff you can do to kind of fine tune and even like, I, I'll even notice, you know, I remember one episode where. Pickles and his brother are in some kind of an argument. We have the camera on the brother who's telling this terrible story that's really kind of going to affect Pickles and all that stuff. But we have the camera on the wrong character. And I just thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop this. Cut the animation that we have. 
take that still shot of pickles and let's do a slow push. I'll write a cue on one of my keyboards or something like that. And we're going to just push on this character, just listening for a long, long, slow time <laughs> and let this story kind of like drift over him. This nightmare story of this brother kind of usurping him. And then it, the impact is greater. I don't have to animate anything. I let the camera do the work and you can do lots of little things like that. So you have to always be clever. Take the scraps that you have and make it work. You know, they, they did it all even in Star Wars where you can see like the, the thing rocking back and forth, you know, with the sand person, you know, you, you see movies doing that all the time, just using scraps to tell the story. Is it the best version? No, but is the story told better? Yes. Let's talk about the movie. What, is it, what did you say the name of it was? It's called Army of the Doomstar. Yeah, so talk about, let's talk about that, the idea, the plot, and what's going on in that movie. Is it something that you're going to the theaters? Are you streaming it? This is going to be dropping on Max, from what I understand, and I will let the PR person tell you exactly what that date is, but <laughs> uh, it's all going to coincide somewhere around the same time, I believe. This is the conclusion of the Metalocalypse story, the story that we started in the first episode. This picks up directly after. We did a one-hour rock opera musical. That was the last thing we did called the Doomstar Requiem. Gene played all over that thing, and it's pretty nuts. But the challenge was, how do you take this heavy metal world? How do you take the genre of musicals and how do you just put them together? And that's what got me writing it was I want to, I'd like to try to do it. I'd like to try to make that work. And this one was, how do you make a movie from this world too? How do you make like, so we thought about TV shows that made movies. And I always thought one of the best kind of transitions from a TV show to a movie was Star Trek, the series to Star Trek, the movie, Star Trek, the motion picture, Wrath of Khan, movies like that. But they really changed their tone and they changed their mood and they made their movie a little, have a little bit more gravitas it's a little bit more dire. And that's what this is too. So we decided to really open it up to make it a little bit more big than it has ever been and to really put the band through its paces. So this picks up directly after the Doomstar Requiem where uh, Nathan Explosion, who is uh, <laughs> kind of bedraggled at this point, our lead singer, he's kind of in a romantic and professional flat spin and uh, in a personal crisis when he's asked to write a song that will perhaps save the planet. So it's about creativity under duress. That's what this is. It's about the ego. It's about this dipshit celebrity with a big ego. And ultimately, I'll say that this is a dipshit messiah story. <laughs> so it starts out as a comedy. It goes into this crazy dire place and a huge point of no return. And then it turns into an action movie. And so we tried to squeeze every amount that we could out of the team and uh, visually. And I got to write an entire score with you know that i got to record with strings and horns and and then gene and myself got to make this really explosive music that is a big big part of the movie so um there are linchpin scenes so the music has to be really important we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to get it right and it's to me it's like this big dream of an experience where we go from this kind of corporate world of death clock in the first episode to this religious world where music is religion by the end so it's a big crazy epic movie <laughs> but you're saying this is the final chapter of the story i mean death clock will live forever but um this is the end of that story because this whole thing starts with this this tribunal that's talking about you know the cia fbi you know like the um kind of people versus john lennon story coinciding with john lennon basically at the end mm -hmm. and there are even references to the beatles you know when they go to india to go learn the mystical parts of music and all that stuff so so there's all that stuff inside of this thing but yeah it's it's about the search of a song and why did you decide that this was the end of the line for uh for death clock the show is moving that way and i think it's really important to end 
a story and not let it linger forever. Hmm. It's really hard to know that that was kind of unfinished out there. So finishing a project is really important. I think a show that goes on forever diminishes the show from week to week. And I think if you don't neatly tie it up and don't kind of complete your thesis that you started in the first episode, I think you're you're in a place of experiencing diminishing returns. I don't think TV shows need to last forever. I think they need to say something and wrap it up. I think about the, the British office, if you ever watched yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Because what is that, 12 episodes in a yeah. Christmas special? And you remember every moment of it, and it's the best arc that you've ever seen, right? Yeah. And at the very end, at the very end, this stupid idiot, Ricky Gervais's character, finally speaks some truth. It's honest about one moment, right? Finally, finally. And what does that do for us? It just relieves everything. You know, it really just ties the whole thing together. So that to me is, I think, like I said, I think Death Clock will live forever. Is there a possibility that Death Clock could do something beyond this? There is. I don't know. So, but, but this is the end of that story. This is the end of the Metalocalypse story. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So Gene, when you guys are, are talking about going on tour, are you assembling the band? Has it been the same band the whole time? So you guys have been touring. You've gone on many tours before. I know you did, you did a bunch back in the 2000s, etc., Absolutely. And, and, you know, those, those initial tours were, you know, myself and Brendan, and then there was Brian Beller on bass, Mike Keneally on guitar. And <laughs> both of those gentlemen are amazing musicians and great guys. You know, the, the band tends to evolve. I guess it's probably kind of schedule related for a lot of folks. You know, sometimes, sometimes we don't have Brian Beller. We have our good friend, Mr. Pete Griffin, mm-hmm. and he's, he's a hard working, you know, he's been with a whole lot of folks, done a whole lot of great things. You know, sometimes it just works out that that's how it goes. You know, sometimes some folks' uh, schedules, that's the thing about scheduling. You know, you got to schedule things a year in advance sometimes, you know, because it's like, man, myself, I'm booked until right. 2025 kind of thing, you know. So, you know, you try to do what you can when you can. And I let everybody else kind of man the, uh, you know, who's going to be in the project and that sort of thing. You know, I, I let Brendan take care of that. It's an interesting conundrum here. When you guys play live, do, do you have any of the characters involved uh, do you is it just you guys or is, how do you do that oh you know what that's a good question so what the show is is it's a fully animated live show oh wow so we've got a gigantic movie theater size lcd screen behind us this is where gene really comes in this is where i mean he shines in so many different ways but this is something that gene does and this is this is why gene will always be part of this project no matter what because it's a lot of pressure on Gene. We have a huge, so we have a big, huge, like, premiere timeline where we have all kinds of, like, comedy and music videos that we play the picture against. We're not supposed to be Death Clock. We're playing the music. We always joke that we're the Metalocalypse players, and Death Clock just <laughs> is the band behind us. But we have a gigantic, you know, movie screen, and every single downbeat coincides with the cuts. You've got the synergy between music and visual and the light show that's happening at the same time. So I thought, like, basically, in the very first kind of, like, weeks of developing the show, I thought, okay, if you wrote a song per episode, 
do 20 episodes and you have somewhere around 20 something songs you go on the rec you go record the rec album then you go on tour how do you do the tour and you go oh, well what did the gorillas do and i look at the gorillas and they were behind a scrim playing and i thought okay put the band in front of the scrim and put a gigantic movie theater size screen gene counts in every single song he he's an important part we bring him in in the edit room so that if we're ending a song and starting another song he he can kind of count out how much time he needs to do the final downbeat and the new downbeat of the next song so he's gonna get while one song is finishing he's getting the click track coming in of the next song so he's it's just one timeline and if we screw it up we're dead we're <laughs> dead <laughs> we're in big trouble and the audience is gonna be like what and they can't believe it it hasn't happened because gene has saved whatever crazy technical malfunctions we've had by watching the picture in his peripheral vision and just playing around and going like, oh, there was a skip. Remember, we had it all running on a DVD at one point. Right. And the whole room was bouncing and the <laughs> DVD was skipping. This is like an early first tour. And Gene is sitting there going, get us back on track, speed it up. And now we're back on <laughs> stuff like that. Gene, you want to talk about that stuff? From time to time, there's been some technical issues like where I hear the click track and sometimes it does not get fed to me. So to kick off the set you know for instance like when we you know it's pretty well known we open with the death theme you know from the show and there's like this little strobing and i'm just watching i'm watching for this you know i got nothing going on i'm like no click tracks help me get the click track together come on we got nothing and so it, it's starting you know i can just kind of like oh god you know and i'm, I'm just trying to play to this visual yeah like Brandon says there's, there's, yeah he's got like one frame of flashing white and he's trying to line up his drums with that one visual cue and there's no <laughs> quick track yeah but it's it is a fun challenge because you know th i i admit those are kind of in the earlier days we've we've technology is what it is we've got a little better system together and, and things are what they are and it, it is a fun challenge because it is pretty much it's not like we stop the songs in between i mean it's pretty much you push play Mm -hmm. And then for an hour, that thing just runs. You know, it's on a file now, but that thing just runs and it's just a big, long, seamless production. And that's the real fun. Like everybody who does know a live death clock show, we jump off stage for a couple of minutes here and there. They have a, you know, the, the screen behind us plays some comedy, a sketch, a skit. We're jumping off stage for just a couple of minutes. We've got the timing together to when to come back on stage and just all that. Listen for the little Mm -hmm. boop boop that starts off the click and then we're ready to go you know that's the thing about the live death clock show is that i've had so many people come up to me after the show going you know guys that are like older than us saying look i've been to every concert in my town here you know from back in the day from club shows to the big concerts this is the best concert i have ever seen in my life i've seen everybody this is the best concert i've ever seen and so that that's really fun to hear you know because i agree the live death clock show is amazing like not only do you get pummeled by metal but you walk out of there with a big smile on your face not only from hearing some kick-ass metal played well and all that kind of stuff but the comedy that's been happening. I mean, you're going to be chuckling about some of the some of the bits you just saw you know and mm. that's what a fantastic well-rounded night that i think everybody gets you come out of there with a big smile on your face what else can you ask for being being an entertainer you know big smiles right. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good do you have to do a lot of rehearsal for that like to get the synchronization with you know with the with the video and obviously your audio that's one thing that i do is i take a month beforehand i block off my schedule and i take a month beforehand and make sure that 
this is also a very technical skills oriented show. So I got to make sure that no matter what I've done leading up to it, I got to make sure that my skills get up to that level to where it's like, yeah, I'm flying through the double bass and the blast beats are all, you know, and it's got to go to the click and it's all got to be perfect. So I take about a, a month or so beforehand and really bear down and I will get the live show in advance, you know, all, all the animation with just the click track. That's all I get. I, it doesn't have music going on in the background. I'll just get the click track and I will rehearse to the click track. And by the time that we get to rehearsal and I've got the show playing on my, my iPad right here, hmm. I'll really like, I'll memorize the show to the click track. So I'll know the, like the visual cues If something's going strange. I'll know like behind me. Cause I've told Brendan many times, it's like, I just need to get like a bicycle mirror or something. Just to <laughs> <laughs> see what's happening. It's just odd. I could see the downbeat, you know, like here's this color for this part. And here's the big change here. It changes color. Boom. Right as I'm changing. That's kind of, I put so many things into my head and on tour. The only thing that I'm about is, is the show. My partying days are well in the past. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, just it's all about the show so i spend all day long preparing for the show i get my nap before the show you know i make sure that the show is just going to run spot on so that's entertaining to me is making sure that it's entertaining for everybody that everybody gets the mm. best possible experience and also the folks on stage with me get the best possible experience they get because sure you, know, you might know you're like oh man my my drummer's lagging tonight. Oh, or, you know, or, or, you know, working with this guy and he's just not quite, I got to be like 100%, 100% of the time. So that's a fun challenge. I'm up for it all the time. Totally. It doesn't hurt that Gene is a, a virtuoso and a musical perfectionist that really gives a shit. You know, that's just like, seriously, it's so wonderful to be able to collaborate with Gene. Uh, and seriously, that's what I'm looking for in collaboration. And so lucky if you get somebody like Gene. And, you know, I, I have to echo that sentiment towards Brendan, towards Ulrich, our producer, you know, like we were just saying a couple weeks ago, we make a nice little team, you know, it's, <laughs> I have a blast doing this and we all have a really good time doing this. This is, it's a high stakes project, but we have pretty calm demeanors about the whole thing and our, our humor level is pretty high and it's, it's pretty relaxed, actually, you know, we, I've never seen Brendan stress about anything ever and I've known Brendan for coming up on 17 years, something like that, you know, 16, 17 years. Yeah. So it's really nice. I want to be reliable. Like Brendan is reliable. Like Ulrich is reliable. Like the rest of the band is reliable. You know, just you got to show up and be 100% all the time. And that's, that's pretty easy. You know, we love what we do. So there you go. So tell us about the two. Are, who are you going out with? We are going out with the Mighty Baby Metal. Ah, baby metal. Baby metal, yeah. And um, so it's a U.S. tour, and we're starting in late August and finishing up here in Los Angeles about the second week of October or so. So it's about a six-week tour. So the last few shows that Gene and I have done are one-offs. We did a one-off in Philadelphia about a year ago while we were kind of prepping this album. Um, the last one we did before that was right before COVID in 2019. We did a one-off, and these one-offs, oh, I'm sure you know what it is. You, you know what it's like because <laughs> you got one chance to get everything right. And this is a complicated show with lots of changes, lots of things going on, lots going on on the drums, lots going on on the guitar, lots going on visually. We built a whole bunch of new visuals for these shows. And it's so nice to have a tour finally where we can do, 
just kind of keep trying to have the best show, you know, yeah. trying to get the perfect show happening, you know, which is, which is what you're trying to do. When, at least that's, that's what I'm thinking is like, how can I get everything from vocals to guitars to all the switches and all that stuff that we have to do. And it, at first it's terrifying. And then at some point it's like cutting butter with a hot knife somewhere in the middle of it. And then <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. One-offs are so hard too. Cause you got to put the rehearsal time in. Like you said, you got to get all the production done. It always takes a couple shows to work the junk out of your system as it is. So the one-off is just like, ah, could have been so much better. I know. I know. Right. But like I said, and what Gene said too, we're so spoiled by these audiences. They're very enthusiastic. When you get a bunch of them in the same place, it's just nuts. Who are some of the, do you ever get like, uh, you mentioned some of the guys that have voiced the show, the mm-hmm. guys come out and see the shows as well. Who, who's kind of come to see you that makes it a little bit nervous for you? Oh, geez. I, mean, I remember seeing like Nico McBrain on side stage <laughs> one time. Remember that? Oh, yeah. absolutely. He's eating a piece of chicken. He's like, oh, what's all this then? You know, so this is a cartoon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, what? I remember, and that was like the first time I saw Mastodon kind of checking stuff out over there. Well, you know, you know, Brendan knows a lot of folks in the comedy world. And, you know, we get some comedians out, you know, like like guys like David Cross and his wife, oh, yeah. Amber Tamblin, and, and yeah. people that you just don't normally see at a metal show, you know, you're like, well, that's fun, you know, having a conversation with this guy, you know, like Jack Black and Kyle Gass and, you know, Eric Andre, you know, all, you know, guys like that that have come out in the owns like we're big fans, that sort of thing. So you get some odd, you know, some strange folks and, and I bump into my friends, you like on the road at festivals all the time, you know, guys from Queens, right? Got, you know, guys from every band ever like, God, I love you. Know, like everybody tells me about how we've had so many marathons, you know, we get off stage and we go right to the bus and we have the marathon of the, you know, we got all the DVDs and all that. So the show is good. The, the music isn't corny, you know, musicians can get behind it too. And, and like, you know, it's not like they're embarrassed to go, we like death. Yes, it's good. <laughs> right, you know, right. it, it's funny, but it ain't no joke. Well, once again, any, any band that you're in, Gene, is going to be pretty killer. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So you got oh, the, you, you got Chris. that respect right out of the gate. <laughs> oh, well, I'm I'm very fortunate for that, and I'm, you know that's what one reason I'm stoked to be a part of Death Clock and <laughs> all the bands I am involved in. So there you go. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Starting to wind down here, Brendan. I wanted to ask you, uh, actually a friend of mine is a huge, was a huge fan of home movies. They thought it was super underrated. Yeah, that was that was. I mean, gosh, twenty years ago now, maybe. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of just talk a little about home movies for a little bit. You know, these are all sh- the, the metalocalypse and home movies couldn't be more different in tone and in feeling and in comedy. But the thing that makes them very similar is they're both about creative people and creative relationships. One of them is about a band, and the other one is about a bunch of kids who are making uh, movies together, and. Home movies was really great because I was just starting out in comedy back in the day. My roommate was Eugene Merman, who is a great comedian. And uh, all I was doing was just going on stage and experimenting every single night, trying to do something that was unique, different, weird. 
And I would see, I remember I would see, uh, you know, people go up on stage and do song parodies with guitars and stuff with acoustics where I was, they would always make me laugh. But I thought I'm going to do something with music and comedy one day. And I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be more than an acoustic. It's going to probably have to have like an orchestra and a, <laughs> and a band and drums and animation, like whatever it is. So I was just like, I was thinking about that back then, but this is a show that was really fun. I was just out of music school and I just had started doing stand up and I got, I met the people who were doing the show, Dr. Katz. While I did one good night of stand-up, I was like really funny one night, and they were there, and so it, it, I was really lucky. So I met with I met with the creator Lauren Bouchard, or the co-creator of Home Movies, Lauren Bouchard, and we were kind of developing this idea together. And there was a lot of like they put me in a recording booth, and they said, "Go be funny on a microphone, okay? Go be funny." And I said, "Okay." You couldn't be put on the spot more to like fail. But once again, I really wanted this. I'd been doing a lot of writing on my own. I had like Seinfeld spec scripts that I had like, I had tons of sketches. I had tons of writing samples. I was really ready to get working, to become, you know, a working artist, I guess. So uh, we got really lucky in like the cartoon boom of 1999, where like, you know, Family Guy started and a bunch of, everyone learned how to make animation cheaply. South Park was already kind of happening too. We had this tiny little like indie rock TV show about, kids and it's me and john benjamin who you'd know is the guy from archer and uh bob's burgers and then we would have a bunch of comedians that would come and and, uh, and join us as well people like emo phillips would come and join us andy kindler again david cross people from mr show that i loved you know stuff like that so it was a show it was a it was a family show and that was a show that we also knew that the show was like coming on its fourth season and we, we weren't going to get picked up again so we also had the ability to end the show which was, again, something that a lot of TV shows just cut off and you, they never finish. You just, the arc is done. It just dies. But we got to finish that show in the way that we wanted to. And so we were always lucky. And, and it's really funny. The, for me, all of this stuff, it's wonderful when an audience sees it. But I have to have a lot of fun making it because to me, that's the ultimate thing is making the thing is the ultimate high, I'd have to say, is being in production, developing it, putting it together circumventing a mistake, fixing a joke, getting the music right, getting a guitar solo right. The making of the thing is the most exciting thing. And then once I'm creatively finished with it, I am pretty much done. I never look back at it. I never check it out again unless I'm doing research like in this movie. I don't go back and watch any episodes. I do listen to the music, but I don't watch anything because, you know, at some point you're like, I'd like to pull a George Lucas and fix everything and change everything. Right. But you don't. You can't. It's like the story of the guy who breaks into the Louvre and gets arrested for touching up his own painting. <laughs> <laughs> the making of it is fun beyond that. You know, it's, it's, you know, except for this, again, the music is fun because we're, we're providing like, we're really part of a big piece of entertainment when we do our live show with Metal Ocalypse. But yeah, home movies. I have really fond memories of working on that show. It was really fun. It really put me on the spot in a way. And I really developed a lot of friendships that I, still have to this day because of that show because of the people i worked with well uh and gene let's talk about uh quickly about this about your storied career you've done so much and been in so many bands what are some of your highlights as far as the the bands that you've played with of course death clock is major head you know highlight absolutely i mean we've gotten to do some really great things together and since it is such a uh all-encompassing sort of thing, you know, multimedia sort of thing, that that's super fun. And, you know, starting off, you know, my, my first band, Dark Angel, you know, like that's that's more my project. And, and so that's super fun. And all the death era and especially the, uh, the strapping young lad era that I had and, and 
you know, I just spent 10 years with Testament and that sort of thing. But thinking back to the old strapping days and, you know, you've probably seen whoever has seen old clips of us, you know, strapping was a pretty mighty band and it was really fun. I really felt like we were changing lives every night with strapping. That was always fun. And and I feel the same way with, with Death Clock. I feel like we are, Death Clock was kind of a gateway band for a lot of young, younger folks. You know, there were so many people that like guys like, all right, this is my son. This is his first gig, his first concert ever. And I'm like, oh my God, we're just ruining your future concert (laughs) (laughs) visitations, you know, like, God, you're starting off here, you know, like it's going to be challenging for you, kid. (laughs) I'm very fortunate to have the career that I've had. You know, I I said about this when I was a kid, I am definitely a, uh, the poster boy for living one's dream. I was 11 when I said, this is what I'm going to do. And by the time I was 13, I was like, oh yeah, this is absolutely what I'm going to do. And I just stuck with it. You know, my my first tour, very first tour I went on was with Slayer. I was their light guy. I was 16 years old. You know, we were all teenagers at the time, you know, the West Coast tour that they did. And I've had a very fun and unconventional journey since I was a young teenager. So I definitely have had a life not a lot of folks have had. So I'm I'm pretty, pretty darn fortunate, you know, putting out my first album when I was 18, you know, Darkness Descends from Dark Angel. That's become sort of a, a classic over the years. I'm 18 years old, had no idea what we were doing at the time, but, you know, that kind of thing. And, I, you know, I hope to have been a part of some classic records. And that's very cool. I'm, I'm pretty good at choosing projects. I've turned down a lot of corny projects you know so i've always tried to keep the bar high for for myself of like do i like this music yes if i like it then woohoo there you go last question for you who's your favorite member of death clock and what's your favorite death clock song to play listen they live inside of my head <laughs> and i'm irritated with all of them constantly so i i'd have to say you know this movie army of the doomstar really focuses on nathan as a proxy for the whole band so i'm really have been close to, to nathan explosion a lot this year my favorite song to play live oh man i don't know i don't know what is the favorite song i mean thunder horse is always so much fun to play live just because it's like it's it's all, all the guitar parts really lay nicely on the guitar so it's really fun to play it's like right in the wheelhouse it's like a really good kind of like switching between rhythm guitar and lead guitar all at the same time so as a guitar player and that song got a lot of kids into death clock because that was on guitar hero too when that came out so i knew that people got turned on to the tv show and the band because of thunder horse being on guitar hero so i'll say thunder horse to make it simple and i'll say nathan gene you know i not because I play the drum version of the man, but I, I got to go with Pickles it, for one line that he said <laughs> in one episode. And it was just when they're talking about something, he's just like, couldn't do it. Too damn drunk. <laughs> what a classic line. My favorite <laughs> tunes are the really challenging ones like the gears or death support or, you know, something like that. And when we recorded the song Laser Cannon Death Sentence, mm. both Brendan and I were like, Oh my God, we're never going to play this song live. F this song, you know, such a challenging song. <laughs> and these days, my chops are so high that I've come back to Brandon a couple of times. I'm like, yeah. man, would you consider doing that? Yeah. <laughs> laser cannon in the set because I, I can do it now. Damn. But yeah, that's, that's, oh God, crazy tune. But I like playing the challenging ones just to, because we can. When you have a song like The Gears and especially live, the, the visuals on that are insane. And when that song, 
comes together and coalesces like the just this pounding double bass juggernaut. I'm sure the crowd is just like jaws have got to oh, be dropped th- at the end of the. They're they're in a state of hypnosis at that point. I look at the audience right. at that point because I'm looking at them and they're just all looking beyond us and <laughs> they, their jaws are dropped and their eyes have glazed over and they're we've got them under a hypnotic spell <laughs> and it's because Gene is losing his mind on the kit behind. You've got it's something you have to come out and see. Watch us play the gears. I'll make sure it's in the set. <laughs> yeah rest your feet yeah <laughs> yeah man I'm, I'm up for it well uh it's gonna be very exciting to i want i'm gonna come see your show i want to come see you guys play Kick ass. Uh, looking forward to the movie and dude congratulations to both you guys for all the success of metal Ocalypse and death clock it's been a, a, a definitely a, a very popular movement for sure cool man thank you very much hey terrifier 2 all right uh, <laughs> yeah thanks man oh thank my you. god Oh, oh my god. It, dude. Oh man. We'll see you guys on the road for sure. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. Excellent. Thanks, Chris. Chris. See you, brother.